Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Grow With Soul. Today my guest is Therese Autumnblad of Small Business Collaborative. Therese is a wholesale expert, having a decade of experience working for large and small wholesale businesses, selling products into brands as big as John Lewis or as small as your local gift shop. She now mentors small product businesses, helping them to make the most of their wholesale opportunities. In this episode, we start basic, talking about how wholesale fundamentally works. I go on to share selling and confidence tips. We talk pricing and we look at what opportunities might be right for you. Therese's local airport was particularly busy as we recorded, so you may hear some planes coming and going throughout this episode. But other than that, let's dive in. Hi, Therese. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good indeed. So I was really looking forward to our conversation today, actually, because we're going to be talking all about wholesale. And although I kind of understand conceptually how wholesale works, it's not something that I've ever really worked in or have kind of got to grips with very much. So I think it'll be really interesting, particularly for our product-based business listeners, to hear a little bit about this whole other side of business and online business. Yeah, it's quite different, I suppose, in the way of thinking if you normally sell directly to your customers, Mm. your consumers, if you will. Yeah, very much. And yeah, as I said, I've worked almost completely in direct-to-consumer kind of worlds, if you like. So I'm hoping to learn something today as well. Before we dive into that, can you run us through your your story so far? So your kind of background, how you got into wholesaling in the first place and how you've kind of got to the place you are now with, with your own business? Yeah. So first of all, I, I grew up in Sweden hence the name, <laughs> and um, and the accent, which people find very difficult to place sometimes. So I always <laughs> kind of say that. But I, I moved to London in 2008, and uh, it was after I did my degree in fashion and textile design, and I thought I wanted to go to do a master's in costume design. So I thought, oh, London is a great place. That's where I'm going to move. But I then quickly decided that's not what I wanted to do. So I thought, well, I better get a proper job then. (laughs) (laughs) So I I really fell into the industry. So I applied for lots of different things because I already knew I didn't want to be in the fashion industry. So I basically applied for everything and anything. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting a job as a maternity cover in sales administration at a it wasn't a small company but it was an independently run company right and they sold every or made everything from you know novelty kid stuff like animal shaped crayons to cupcake shaped lip balms to Mm -hmm. 
everything. And then they sold uh, and distributed Moleskin and Class Porter, which is like a luxury Portuguese soap brand. So it was a really wide range of products and lots of products, which was great. And I, my maternity cover that I um, took on, it was a sales manager that went on maternity leave. And she also assisted the key accounts manager, mm-hmm. which is, she looked after all the sort of big accounts like accessories and new look and most major high street companies right. really. And then so I started there in, I think it was June and then she went on holiday. So then I had two jobs to do <laughs> and I knew nothing. <laughs> so that was fun. And it kind of threw me into the deep end, but it was a really good role because I was able to take on more and more as my confidence grew And I was able to kind of get to know the business from the bottom up in a, you know, we had a warehouse on site. I got to learn so many things. It was a really good foundation, I think. Mm -hmm. And I looked after customers like John Lewis Beauty and Joe Brown and online retailers. It was really fun. It was a really nice introduction to the industry. And I kind of just decided quite quickly that I really enjoyed it so I just wanted to stay in that environment which was really nice I kind of felt like I found something that I wanted to do mm. and I stayed there for I think three four years and then I moved to a more corporate company but they were starting a stationary brand that they wanted to sell to sort of independent retailers and and, you know, more high street shops. They were more in supermarkets, this company. Right. And they were a book publisher. So I started there. I did that from for about 11 months. Now, that job was in Bath. So I was home-based most of the time, which sounded really good. Going <laughs> to Bath every two weeks and, mm-hmm. you know, sounded great, but... I just worked nonstop. Yeah. I wasn't ready to work from home. I constantly felt like I needed to prove myself. And, you know, I was the only one really. I had support. Like I had my director who was really good. I had another sales guy that was helping. And I had admin support and stuff. But they were all based in different places. So I kind of just threw myself into work. Mm. And didn't do much else so that wasn't that sustainable for me it didn't really mm-hmm. <laughs> work for me so then I went back and I got a job in London again in an office and that was also at a book publisher and I was looking after their wholesale department which in publishing works a bit different so obviously wholesaling as a whole is selling to retail but in books when you talk wholesale you it's often the companies that sell lots of different publishers books Mm, okay so I was buying books and selling books which was really good (laughs) (laughs) and I love books so that was a nice combination and we we kind of provided a quite tailored service for the mainly fashion stores I would say uh, where we would you know go and see 60 publishers and then present all the books that are relevant to whatever themes they're working on that season mm-hmm. for them in one meeting. And we also sold to 
independent retailers and stuff. So I had a team of sales agents. Sales agents are freelancers that work on commission. And then uh, I had uh, another sales manager who worked on our own publishing program so that she only sold books that we published in-house. So that was a pretty wide job. Mm. It was it was really fun though because you know one day I was talking to an agent about a small shop in the Lake District, and another you know ten minutes later I can be talking to ASOS yeah. <laughs> about you know spending hundreds of thousands of pounds. Yeah, wow. so it was quite different, but it was a really nice role, and I really loved that role for the time I was there. I was there I think four years. But it was a very full-on role, and I think as you go, as I got older, I kind of didn't want to work at the same pace anymore. Mm. So I then went to a small gift company, and they hadn't had a salesperson before, so it was nice. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was a conscious decision. I took a very big pay cut mm. and decided that actually life balance was more important. My publisher job they didn't want to I basically wanted to work from home one day a week when it was really busy because I felt like I didn't get maybe as much done on my own work when I was in the office so and they didn't really want to support that so I then re-evaluated my life and thought oh what's important I really like the industry but I'm not ready to set up my own business I'm going to go and work for a smaller company so I went and worked there and it was really lovely it was a really nice company to work for but I was then made redundant which was a different feeling (laughs) (laughs) I'd never really been in that situation before it was quite different Mm. but uh, I mean I had thought about starting my own business for quite a while so I was made redundant on the Monday and by Wednesday, I decided I'm going to start my own business and I bought a domain name. <laughs> That's such a good turnaround. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I just thought, I thought, if I think about it too much, I'm just not going to do it. And yeah. then, you know, give it another four years, I will have taken probably a big job again because it would have been the easier thing to do, mm. I think. And... Um, you know, I would have probably never wanted to take that pay cut again. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, well, I've been in a smaller, not smaller job, but, you know, a job I chose that suited me. So I'm going to just continue along that path. So that kind of brings me up to me starting my business, which was actually only, I mean, I did my last day in this company in the end of October last year. Wow, yeah, so not that long ago at all. No, (laughs) not long at all. It was scary, but actually it kind of always felt quite right. I'm a big believer in like following my gut. Yeah. (laughs) So it felt right. It's always felt right. And the reason why I chose this business is because when I was doing trade shows and things like that, I've, I've spoken to lots of independent retailers they all sort of said, when I was talking about the smaller exhibitors that I thought had great products, they often said the same thing that, you know, they come to these exhibitions and they pay all this money, but 
really they haven't really got their prices and things right yet so they just don't trust that they can buy from them yet mm. and I thought well if they you know maybe there's something I could help with there so I thought um, that's what I want to do because I knew by then I wanted to work with in the industry I wanted to work with small businesses so I thought okay well that's a good way of helping that's why, why the mentoring came about mm. because I wanted to help people without being business consultant yeah. or something like that. <laughs> so I thought how can I help them in a way that is you know gonna make me enough to live on and them you know not be crazy expensive for a small business and mm. I thought the mentoring would be good now I had not actually looked into how many mentors there is I didn't I mean it's quite embarrassing I didn't do any research <laughs> I literally thought that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna do it now so had I looked into how many business coaches and mentors there are out there maybe I would have thought differently but it's actually something I realized much later <laughs> which is probably not the right way of doing things but I think I felt like I had experiences to share that I hope can benefit people and help people on their journey sort of thing so mm. I yeah, that's why I started. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. I think that research is overrated. <laughs> and I think especially as women, we always feel like we have to do more research, we have to learn more, we have to really thoroughly do that part of the process. Whereas actually, you know, you had an idea, you knew where you could be valuable. And so you just followed that and started creating the stuff to make it happen rather than you know, spending three months wringing your hands, researching all the different types of business coaches. Yeah, I, it worked for me. I, I don't know if it's always the best way, but I think that following your instinct, is, I, th I do think you kind of have to make some sort of loose plan, but it doesn't have to be a step-by-step -step business mm. plan, I think, mm. with all the market research and all the financial figures right away. I think a lot of us, we kind of grow it very organically and it comes from that and not what feels right sometimes <laughs> so let's then think a little bit about wholesale and then we'll get into more the kind of selling stuff but I want to start really 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 basic perhaps with people who maybe even just have a product idea but they've not quite gone through with it yet or they're kind of weighing up their options and so what is wholesale how does it work and why is it a good opportunity for people so wholesale is essentially selling your products at a lower price to another business that will then sell it on to their customer mm -hmm. the margin is usually around 50 to 60 percent so you that you give away, which sounds like a lot when you're a small business owner, and it sounds really scary. But obviously, the benefit is that you are going to be selling more mm. and at for each transaction than if you were just selling to directly to the consumer at a higher price. Mm. So, all your you know your your retail customer is the ones that are your direct customers that you sell to through your website or 
through social media or through marketplaces like not on high street and your wholesale is all business to business transactions i would mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. so the margin you're giving away might sound really scary but it can really give you the opportunity to build a business that is sustainable to you and your lifestyle so you know you might not want to have world domination with your products but wholesale can still work for you one thing is that you know retailers they buy obviously more but they also repeat order much quicker Mm -hmm. than maybe the average retail customer so from a small independent you might get two or four or six orders a year at a higher value than you would from your direct customers Mm -hmm. so that's a big benefit another one is obviously that everything happens a little bit earlier so it can actually be combined with your Retail sales, so for Christmas, for example, where we all make most of our money, they would typically be buying maybe early September and your direct customers might be buying middle of December. So you can plan a little bit more. You can obviously sell slightly higher volumes. If you go after larger customers, they buy even earlier, but it just creates a a nice balance it's a bit easier to plan for I think a lot of times than selling to retail and you can build a relationship with your buyers you know I have buyers that I've dealt with for the last 10 years because shop owners they often I mean they change hands the new ones open but a lot of them do stay in the industry for a long time so you really get to know people which is really nice and they really get behind your brand they love products and they really get behind promoting you. And it's also a bit of a marketing exercise Mm. where, you know, if you're in at least a few shops, then more people are going to find you online as well. Mm. Yeah, exactly. That was something that we worked on in the business I used to work for, which was a furniture brand. But for us, it was very much we wanted to make sure that we had presence in shops because that meant that, customers could actually see feel touch the product maybe discover it for the first time in a shop which you can't do online with products like furniture without you know lots of costly tech innovation of (laughs) showing 360 degrees and all that kind of thing so there is that other benefit of it can actually be a good way to introduce people to your brand as well I think yeah I think so too and I think it builds trust to if a customer has actually touched and felt your product, I think it's, especially then if your product is slightly pricier, not necessarily expensive, but say a lot of small independent businesses and a lot of the people I work with, obviously their products for what they are might come across pricey. Say they make candles, they Mm -hmm. might come across more expensive than mass-produced ones. But once you see and smell and touch them and understand the story behind the Mm -hmm. brand, it's not a big deal. You would still buy it. So shops can obviously help with that message. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. So what does that look like? kind of in practice then so is are there kind of typical buying times that people will be doing or you know how do the deliveries work or all that sort of thing is it quite 
I guess it's kind of, are there lots of barriers to entry with it or is it quite accessible for smaller, more startup brands? I would say if you want to sell to large retailers, there's more barriers. So I always, not necessarily ones that you can't overcome. I don't want to discourage anyone. (laughs) But I always say if you haven't done any wholesale, start approaching small retailers first, even local ones to you, because the smaller they are, the less they're going to expect in terms of, you know, there are you following their own processes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to start out selling to smaller retailers. And in reality, I guess it's not so different from selling to your, you know, online sellers, um, customers. Mm. You know, you still need to introduce your product to the buyer I mean you do it slightly different than you would to your direct consumers but so you would need to create a line sheet or a catalog which show your products and your prices and of course you have to work out what your prices are then you a lot of times people now write an email introduction before they do anything else especially since I feel that If you're not quite sure, you you know, unless you're quite confident and extroverted, you might not feel quite comfortable phoning up a buyer and pitching right there and then. (laughs) (laughs) I literally can't imagine anything worse. (laughs) And loads of people feel that way. And I'm actually quite introverted, but there's ways around it. I think selling is much more about having a conversation and engaging with people than it is actually sort of selling like you see in advertisement sales Mm. or car sales Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you you have your catalog and your your line sheet and your prices and then you contact the buyers you want to introduce your brand to and you always have to contact more than you know you're not going to get a reply from everyone and that's okay it's not generally, you know, a personal thing. So in the beginning, you have to have a quite thick notes, I think. Mm. You have to realize that the buyers are getting approached by lots and lots of people. So chances that they even saw and read your email is quite small. So you just have to be persistent. I'm not saying, you know, email the buyer every day because that's not going <laughs> to work. But you still have to be persistent and not just give up after one email. So I think keep trying again is really important. The buyer, if you're pitching to independent retailers, the buyers, you know, shop owners, they open a shop because they love products mm-hmm. and they they love the sort of experience of working into an independent shop and finding something unique. So. And it's their job to find unique products. It's their job to find people like, you you know, you if you're Mm, introducing mm. a brand to them. So they're not going to be annoyed or feel that you're pestering them just because you contact them a few times to introduce your brand. I think it's just to remember that they are just people that are just as passionate about products as you are. Mm. And I think that makes it a little bit less awkward if you kind of keep that in mind, that that is their job and your job is to make sure that they 
find you. Yeah. And in a way, you're kind of doing them a favor because they don't have to be trawling Instagram or Google or Etsy or whatever to find new products. You're literally putting them in their inbox for them. So that's definitely a way to think about it. Yeah. I like seeing it like that sometimes because Mm. it makes you, you know, when you haven't had a reply for three times and you think, okay, I'm going to brave it. I'm going to phone them now. (laughs) (laughs) Then it's really nice to sort of have that in the back of your mind. And chances are they haven't even seen your emails if you do get through Mm. to them. And no one, I mean, so I've been cold calling people probably for what, 10 plus years. And in a cold call, the amount of times I've had someone being offish with me is probably, you know, I can probably count it on one hand. And it was probably because they had a really bad day because, you know, most people are just really lovely. Even if they say your products are not suitable, they're really lovely. I also think that you should only approach people that you can really see your products in in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you really do your research and, can really see that your product is right for them then it's a higher chance that they will buy so it's not Mm -hmm. such a difficult sell so that's a little bit you know about selling but Mm -hmm. and then obviously once you get the order (laughs) you have to then make it and ship it if you're making it or having it produced so I think it's important to try to do that as quickly as possible before you approach people you need to know what your lead times are like and what Mm -hmm. how long it's going to take you to make things because you build that trust by you know not over promising so you want to make sure you can make enough and then you make your order and you ship it (laughs) (laughs) if it's local if you start local and small if you want to make it easy for yourself, you might even, you know, if it's really local to you, you might drop it off. Otherwise, you have to probably use a courier depending on the size of your products. But it's like when you, you know, if you're running a business and you're ordering in materials, you essentially have to, the way they're delivered to you, you kind of have to deliver your products that way. Mm. And like you said at the beginning, that it might sound almost kind of scary to just then get a wholesale order in and like spend a whole load of time making it but then it's done and and it helps you to as you said to be really planning ahead of kind of like well I can bulk order this many materials which means I can get them in cheaper anyway and I can plan my time because I know in these two weeks I'm just going to be doing this wholesale order and then that's gone and then I can catch up over here and it's just less of that kind of I don't know, treadmill of like selling bits and pieces here and there on Etsy or whatever. Yeah, instead of, you know, spending a lot of time to sell one item, Mm. especially if you do quite handmade products where people sort of like to go back and forth with you. If you sell to a shop, you make it, then it's the shop's job to sell it. Mm. Which is really nice. They market it. They sell it. It's great because they not only sell your products, they also kind of market your business yeah. and raise awareness of your business. So I think that's a win-win. Mm. In terms of the pricing and giving away so much margin, that's something I get asked a lot about. Mm-hmm. 
I think you have to just obviously look at your prices you're getting from your suppliers because if you're going to be buying in bulk, you probably get better prices, like you said. And a lot, I find a lot of people underprice themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I think that if you start a business sort of as a side business or hobby, it's really easy to get into a place where you are cheaper than a lot of mass-produced products, Mm -hmm. but produce a far higher and more unique product. So I think often by just working on your prices from your suppliers and your retail prices, you can make it work. Do you kind of advise people to use a template for that or is it much more of really a kind of mindset thing of setting out the store of what you deserve and what your product deserves because everyone's products are so different and they Mm. have so different sort of situations you know some people Mm. might be working from a studio and have quite a lot of overheads and Mm. some people might be working from their home office and not really have that much overheads so there's so many different things I think when you make up your prices you need to consider market the market research about you, around your retail prices, your sort of direct costs. So that's materials like if you make candles, that would be your wax and wick and container and stuff like that. And then you have your indirect cost, which is all your overheads. And then you need to you know, on every sale, even if you wholesale, you have to make money for yourself. So you need to put in your time. So there's a labor cost involved because even if you hand make everything now and you're not really taking that money out, at one stage, if you're going to start wholesaling, you might need someone else to help you and they're not going to work for free forever. <laughs> so you have your prices. It's kind of made up out of those five things things yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't say if it, usually say there's a template it's more that you have to consider all those things and work sort of from there mm. because obviously there is a balance between you know making a profit and mm. and your retail price what that should be and stuff yeah I mean Unless you can offer 50%, a lot of people are not going to be able to do it because they have, you know, really high rents and then they have the store fits and they have, Mm. you know, till systems and staff and lots of costs involved. So every product kind of have to pay and make a contribution into the business. Mm. Um, So I would say that, you know, most larger companies offer 60 but um, if you're only going to be selling to smaller retailers to start off with, a lot of them will accept 50%. I've got a question, <laughs> which is if you have perhaps spent quite a lot of time on your brand so far and you've maybe grown quite a good following or you've got a good email list and you've got quite a good brand name as it is just from selling direct to your consumer... Does that help retailers if you're trying to start selling wholesale? Does that help them to see the viability of your product? Would it help you kind of get a foot in the door there? Or do, does that kind of thing not really matter to them? 
No, I do think it definitely helps. I mean, there's some sort of rule that, you know, a buyer has to see your items X amount of times. Mm. And depending on who you ask, it's, you know, three or seven. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that definitely applies in terms of, you know, if they can recognize you and your brand and they know that lots of people know about it, it's less of a risk to Mm. them. I also think it means that you probably get quite a few incoming inquiries, Mm -hmm. especially if you make it really clear that you do offer wholesale. Because if you have been going for a while, you have a product that could be sold in shops. So, you know, if if it's not too personalized, they you even you, you might feel like, but I'm not getting inquiries from shops, but that might just be because you never said that you sell yeah. to shops. <laughs> so, so I think it's good to sort of say that. I've had that a few times this year where I've said, well, have you told anyone that you, you know, you yeah. would be happy to sell to shops? And they're like, no. <laughs> so I think, if you have a quite a following on Instagram, say, you probably have at least some buyers or some shop owners mm. following you. But they might just be following you because they like your feed or they like your products, but they might not realize that you could actually, you know, sell to them yeah. as a shop. So some people will contact you and ask. But yeah, definitely if you have a bit more of a established follower. I do think that helps. I also think it means that you know exactly who your customer is. And that always helps when you're going to sell something because you will know where those customers are likely to shop. So Mm. you're going to pitch to shops that are suitable for them. Yeah, that's such a good point. That's what I always find really interesting about this kind of model is that it all ends with the same end user so to still be doing that research and to be able to demonstrate to people that I know this will sell to that end user because xyz and this is the brand that I'm creating it all helps because you're it's quite nice because you're all trying to do the best for that one end user and you're all just all working together to do it (laughs) yeah and you just want to give that end user an opportunity to find you lots of different ways Mm. And, you know, adding brick-and-mortar shops and online retailers of various sizes to that, it just helps. But it's nice that you're just really marketing to the same person always. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I think it'd be very easy for people to get kind of in a real mess of, am I talking to this person or that person? And and, what is it? and it's like, yeah, you're all talking to the same person because actually what a buyer wants to know is that, they can sell to that end person. So it's not really, you're not trying to kind of, I don't know, bamboozle the buyer. You can have a much more straightforward conversation because we all just want to sell to this end person. So let's just all focus on them. Yeah, I definitely think that having a clear idea is really good. I think it really helps you. And it helps you explain, even if the buyer, you so the retail buyer is not that person, if you can explain that that yeah. person, you know, mm. who that is, that helps. Yeah. 
So for anybody who might be sat listening, thinking, well, this is all well and good, but I am absolutely terrified at sending that first email or, or picking up the phone. What would what are a couple of tips that you've got or maybe that you've seen work before for people who are really introverted and are just really terrified of making that first step? How can you kind of make sales and selling a more comfortable experience? So I still get funny sometimes mm. about phoning people. And despite what lots of people have told me, I sort of feel that if you're not going to be phoning because you are going to spend all day procrastinating yeah. or talking yourself out of making a phone call mm. or walking into your local shop, then that's just not going to work because, you know, then don't beat yourself up about it. Uh, it is then easier to do an email. And if emailing feels weird, I think it's going to be a bit of a process. You're going to have to spend some time. So I always feel more confident if I really research who I'm emailing or calling. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, look at their social media. And if I can, I look at, you know, even at a picture of who I'm actually emailing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, find a person, make it a person, not a business. Mm. Look at what they're, they're interested in. So look at their social media and what other brands they sell. If it is a local shop, go and visit and sort of see what brands are sort of put in a really prominent place so that those are probably the ones that they're selling more of. And really do your research so you're really comfortable with the business. It might seem like a waste of time to some, but if you're not someone that where it comes natural and you really need to sort of prepare yourself, knowing that you're actually providing a service because you know your products can sell in their shop, it's yeah. going to help you. And just being able to visualize it. So if you can visualize it really clearly, how it can be displayed. I mean, even, you know, where it will be displayed in the shop if you need to, then you just have to convey that message. So you're just telling them, the buyer, you know, to see it your way. Mm. And so that usually really helps me. If I also try to do all my research and do like a whole batch of emails, you know, or phone calls if I'm doing that so that I can kind of psych myself up beforehand yeah (laughs) (laughs) so you know because the first call if you're phoning is always going to be awkward no matter what Mm. so if you but if you can just stick to an email in the beginning and um really remember that you know it's the buyer's job they want to find you so give them a chance to find you and also I think that now with social media you can actually engage with people so if you're not comfortable emailing off the bat if you are more comfortable on Instagram for example then follow the shop and and engage with them right comment on their posts and stuff so that you feel like you know them a little bit maybe DM them about nothing to do with your business But just try to get to know them a little bit then so that you feel more comfortable when approaching them. Mm. 
Yeah, that's that's all such good tips. And I, I think what it comes down to a lot, which is a line I heard on, it was actually a Being Boss podcast episode about pitching to be on podcasts. But I think it works exactly the same way is to remember you're not asking for a favour. <laughs> and I think that we so often approach things like, oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm just going to put this out. And I'm so sorry for emailing you, but could you please possibly? And it's like, that's not what you're doing at all. You're... It, in a lot of ways, it can be the other way around that, you know, you've gone, you've done this research for them. And I think when you're not confident with doing things like that, get yourself to a point where you don't feel like you're doing them, you're asking for a favour, but where you feel like an equal to them and that you know them well enough to be able to really believe in yourself because that's the first thing you've got to believe in the value of your product before anybody else can. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so true. I think you need to do whatever it takes for you to be comfortable in, you know, and confident in that. Mm. Because, I mean, I've been told so many times throughout my years that, oh, you should be on the phone X amount of hours Mm. a day and you should do this and that. And I don't actually think that that works for everyone. And that's not really how I made it work for me Mm. so I think that you find your own way that you're comfortable with yes now I do make a lot of phone calls and you know I write a lot of emails Mm. but but that has taken a long time you know so just do what you need to do to make it comfortable for you Mm. and don't listen you know if everyone says oh you should be selling don't focus on all the other stuff well, that's maybe not possible for everyone. Mm. The way I always think about things is that the only right way to do it is the way that gets it done. So yeah, like exactly as you said about not, if you're thinking, oh, I've got to do a phone call, but then that phone call is absolutely never going to happen, then don't do a phone call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just do something, I think. Like, you know, something in the step that will get you there. Mm. So if you want to start selling and you know who you want to be your first stockist, think about ways that will get you to a point where you can feel comfortable writing that email. Mm-hmm. I love that. Such good advice. And actually, just something I wanted to ask you quickly, just because you mentioned at the beginning about trade shows and things, and that's probably something that is revolving around in people's heads of, it's a huge expense to go and do a trade show, but they might have been had an email about it or be thinking about it and feel about it as a kind of chance to step up their business. How do you feel about trade shows and things like that? Should should it be a first port of call or should you try and do this kind of direct emailing work first? I mean, if you're really good in front of people, like, you know, you love being in front of people yeah. and you feel super comfortable with it, and you know that you can, you know, once you're in front of people, you nothing is stopping you mm-hmm. sort of thing, then that's great. Maybe that is a great first step for you. But I think if you're not the most comfortable or you don't have the budget, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they're expensive, then I actually think that it's almost nicer if you can to have your first stockists before you go mm. to a trade show. I think it's a lot of money to invest without having any stockists because other stockists wants to know that you have some already right. so that you, you know, they want to be able to trust you. Mm-hmm. 
So if you have some already, that's going to come across in the way you present your products and the way you talk about them and stuff. So I think that, you know, starting local and starting small is a good way to sort of get used to selling your products. Mm -hmm. And knowing that it sells in a retail environment too, you know, if you go to a trade show, they will ask you, so where are you being stocked? How is it selling? You know, how long have you been doing that? Mm. So being able to answer those things is a really good thing. And now if you're super confident, you'll probably be able to come up with good answers to all those sort of things on the spot. Yeah. But if that's not you, you might not get the best return on your mm-hmm. investment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I mean, now making trade shows sounds terrible, actually. <laughs> I really like trade shows. <laughs> I think they're excellent for, you know, they have their time and place. And actually, I really enjoy them. It's exhausting, but it is a nice place to meet lots of people and talk. I mean, you meet so many lovely people it's really nice and it's a good way it's good exposure and stuff but I think knowing and having that confidence in your pricing and in your products before you go to a trade show is really good Mm -hmm. so I have people that I work with that probably will take that step and do a trade show off the bat and then now are people that probably would wait a year before they do a trade show so it's really dependent on you and your situation because mm. it is a lot of investment. Yeah, and This is what it, it seems to come down to trusting yourself and feeling confident in yourself and only and putting yourself into situations where you feel like you can be your best, whether that's at a trade show or whether it's in an email. It's doing the groundwork to make sure that you can feel good about whatever it is that you're doing. I think that's really important because, I, I mean, I've gone to trade shows where, you know, often the smaller stands are the newer exhibitors because they're the least expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see people that probably should have either had the friend with them or got maybe gone to a few trade shows before they exhibited because mm. they have a chair in the back of their stand and they sit on that chair ho- with their laptop in their lap yeah (laughs) almost hoping that no one will come and talk to them whereas actually you pay they paid two thousand pounds to be there yeah and they're going to be really disappointed and the further you get into the trade show the more disappointed they will be because you know people will continue walk by if you're Mm. not approachable yeah so yeah i think doing what's right for you I mean, challenge yourself. You should always challenge yourself, but don't do it to a degree where it makes you so uncomfortable. Yeah. Not going to give any return. Just being being honest with yourself, you know, am I going to make the phone call today? No. Am I really going to be able to stand at the front of a trade show stand and feel good about it? No. I am going to sit at the back. Well, then it's not the time now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you... The best ways around that, you can get a friend involved that mm. maybe is that person. Yeah. Because actually, it's much easier to sell someone else's products yeah, than your own. Good. Yeah. So whether that's, you know, your partner or a friend that loves you and ha- maybe they don't have anything to do with the industry, but they might be super chatty and super, mm. you know, good in front of people. So, you know, if you really want to do it, 
consider your strengths and weaknesses and mm-hmm. sort of make sure you cover the weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, good. So. Great. So I have one last question for you, which is how do you grow a soul in your work and life? So at the moment, my work life is kind of merged into one <laughs> by choice. I mean, I, I'm just, it's new and I'm enjoying it. I, it doesn't mean that I don't take time off, but for me, it's really important that I'm building my business around sort of my personal life so mm-hmm. they do go hand in hand I have a dog so I go <laughs> out and walk him mm-hmm. a couple of times a day and I used to do boot camp which I loved but then I had a bit of an injury so now I'm getting back into it but I'm doing yoga instead so just trying to take time out away mm-hmm. from the business because I know if I'm just home sat at my desk I'm just gonna work mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think fine for me finding those little things I can do that sort of remind me why I wanted to start the business yeah and uh, be mindful of like listening to my own instincts and stuff which is something that I'm learning more and more about Mm. no yeah I love that and I also love that you're right at the beginning of the journey of that and that's only going to increase the deeper and deeper you get into your business you're gonna get more and more in tune with yourself yeah that's what I've realized from all the people I met that are business owners Mm. now since I started that actually small business owners even if they work a lot they're more in tune with what Mm. they want out of life than (laughs) most people I've met before Mm. which is really nice so Therese where can people find you online and connect with you and uh, yeah find out more about wholesaling their products <laughs> yeah so i i have my website so i'm smallbusinesscollaborative.co.uk and i also am on instagram of course which is small underscore business underscore collaborative and then i have a facebook group which is tiny but it's uh, let's talk wholesale and I'm sort of on hand there with any sort of free advice and personal advice. So you can join that. And um, then, of course, I work one-on-one with clients as well. And all the information is on my website or you can email me or DM me and I can send you more information. But, yeah, you can find me in lots of different ways. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your knowledge thank you very much any links we mentioned will be on my website which is simpleunseasoned.com forward slash podcast and you can find me and therese on instagram i'm at simpleunseasoned and she's at small business collaborative with underscores between each word As always, if you have a friend who you think would really benefit from listening to this conversation, please do send them the link to the episode and share where you're listening and tag me online too. Before we end, I just wanted to say a huge, huge thank you to every one of you who nominated Grow a Soul in the Blogosphere Awards. I'm so humbled that this little podcast has been shortlisted as one of the podcasts of the year. If you'd like to vote for the winners in all the categories, you can do so on the Blogosphere website, which I will link to in the show notes. And thank you so, so much again. And until next time, I hope you grow with soul.